0: Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net as well as Holly Teska Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Teska and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Uplifting Women podcast. This is Kristen Strunk, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Holly Tesca. And we are thrilled to bring you a really great guest to speak with us today. So we are welcoming Lynn The bills in. She is a coach, a connector, and an expert reframer. As a coach, she brings out the best in her clients and inspires them to move out of their comfort zones to transform their lives. As a skilled strategist and facilitator, Lynn builds communities and supports teams to reach their goals and maximize their impact. She's built a 15 plus year career in the social sector, serving educators and youth across the United States and abroad. She's leveraged knowledge from her MBA, her MA in intercultural development, a BS in social work, and an initial foundation in engineering. In her journey, she's learned critical self-care tools that have helped her thrive while managing a chronic illness, balancing mental health needs, and healing long-term trauma. Identifying as a highly sensitive person and an extrovert Lynn has learned to put people-pleasing aside and build confidence in listening to her inner soul, taking many turns along the way. Through changing career paths, she's done it several times, deciding to start her own business and learning how to follow her heart and quiet the outside pressures of shoulds and wants, she is ready to share her thoughts and help us all take a different perspective. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so
2: much for being here. Thanks. I'm so excited to, to be here. And I've never heard anybody else read my bio. So that, that's fun.
1: It's wonderful. It's a great bio. And I have a feeling that we'll get into a little bit more detail about your story. But we would love to understand how you've gotten to this spot where you are right now doing what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So I'll give some context. So little baby Lynn grew up in a town of 600 people. I was a Catholic school girl, went to Catholic school, kindergarten through half of college. And I come from a German-American farming and military family. So I'm super good at quieting any sort of inner voices and inner things going on to just get the work done and keep going. So my bio mentioned, I've had many turns. I started college as a civil engineering student, had the benefit of studying abroad my sophomore year, and that changed everything. I realized I wanted to make a bigger impact in the world and went down the path of social work and into the nonprofit space. So I've lived all over. I've gone to grad school a few times. And yeah, most recently I was leading systems change work within the nonprofit sector and working to advocate for childcare policy change in the state of Wisconsin. Like I've done a variety of different work in the nonprofit sector throughout my career and in the last year have gone through a journey of my own to figure out what was next for me.
3: Very cool. Very cool indeed. So you're still on your journey.
2: Oh gosh, I keep thinking that it's okay. I figured it out and no, still on the journey. Yeah,
3: I can relate to that. So, yes. Serial career changers.
2: Mm -hmm. And as um, I don't know if either of you follow uh, Nora McInerney, the amazing storyteller, but she would say, I'm firmly middle-aged. I'm turning 40 this year. Life expectancy for women. I'm halfway there. So I'm on the journey and halfway through it.
3: Good for you. Never stop learning because if you stop when you stop when you're finished learning you're
1: finished that's how I've heard it absolutely true so Lynn where would you describe how would you describe this stop that you're on in your journey so you have put your stake in the ground a little bit in terms of defining what you're doing with yourself and your work. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, it's, I would say it's my entrepreneurial step and the step where I really figure out what brings me joy and the exact impact I want to make in the world. And I never, Some people are born knowing they want to be an entrepreneur that has not been me at all. And I know that the work that I'm doing in my coaching business around supporting highly sensitive people um, is really important. And I really like dream of being in a world where employers themselves are not squashing their employees' sensitivity and the skills they bring from that trait, but that they're embracing that and seeing the benefits of having highly sensitive folks in their workplace.
3: So I'm intrigued by that term, highly sensitive. Tell me more about that.
2: Yeah. So it is, it's a genetic trait, it was actually discovered in the early 90s, but it's been around, obviously, since the beginning of time, evolutionarily, highly sensitive people are, like, completely responsible for keeping hu- the human race alive. So you have the the 60 to 80% of people that are not highly sensitive, and they were the cavemen, like, running out of the cave and hunting and like doing all that work and the highly sensitive people were the strategists were the people that said, wait, stop did you hear that sound 20 feet away? they are the people that are really in tune with everything that's going around going on around them so both physically but also intuitively. So in modern day, highly sensitives are people that make really great, therapists and advisors, but also people that can facilitate strategic planning really well and facilitate trainings really well. They can walk into a room of people and know who's engaged, who's not engaged, and they can read people's energy in a way that non-highly sensitive are not able to.
3: And you said that's a genetic thing. There's actually genetics that support this.
2: Yes. That's fascinating. Um, Yeah. And when it was first discovered by the psychologist, Dr. Elaine Aaron, it was estimated that it was about one in five. And now it's estimated that it's more like one in three. So that means there's three of us recording right now. Probably one of us, one of three of us is highly sensitive, but probably more, I would say, maybe more, but given that all of us identify as coaches of some sort. So yes, it's like actually genetically, you can see it in babies as well. And there's been a lot of research done on it.
3: That is amazingly fascinating so I'm going to throw in a little story here because this is really resonating for me my son and daughter-in-law had twin girls a little more than 14 years ago and they're so I I would call myself highly intuitive I am one of those folks that can walk into a room and immediately pick up on the vibration that people are giving off. When the girls were a week old, their mother had to go back to the hospital for a little bit. And all of a sudden my husband and I had week old old twins on our hands. And I just looked at his my husband and I'm like, you're not going anywhere. You're you just take a day of vacation because I'm a little out of, I'm a little rusty. I had these two one week old Girl sitting they they were laying on the guest bed, and I was changing diapers. And one is really outgoing and happy and smiling and giggly and, and even more than you would expect a one week old to be. The other was so serious and like sucking in the world and absorbing everything that's going on. I just looked at her. I'm like, honey, you gotta lighten up a little bit because you're gonna have wrinkles before you're four she really struggles with sensitivity today and she's 14 years old, but to be able to pick that up and see that in her when she was just a week old, that just gives me the willies thinking about this is probably just her genetic makeup.
2: Yeah, Hallie. And you use that word absorb, which I think is, it. it's, the best verb to describe HSPs it's people that are absorbing things and it's interesting so highly sensitive the trait it shows up equally across genders which I find fascinating because it's not what I would assume and but obviously it shows up very differently The other thing is most HSPs, about 70% are introverts, 30% are extroverts. I'm very extroverted, but also highly sensitive. And sometimes HSPs are way more on the end of the spectrum where you're sensitive to the physical aspects. Sometimes you're way on the other end every human is uniquely themselves. And so I think that's the thing I try to remember and try not to put everybody in the same bucket, but it's sometimes helpful to understand different lenses and ways to identify folks.
3: Wow, I'm just blown away by the fact that there's actually science to back a, back all this up. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, but and I, that... I think it's I think it's really interesting that we are talking about it this particular trait being equally distributed between males and females. And I think what's hitting me is even the term highly sensitive. And we typically have a negative connotation with women who are highly sensitive. And I'll put that highly sensitive in air quotes because it's a perception. And I wonder if there's how those two things have started to impact that conversation around this being an equally distributed trait for you?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I had a conversation about this earlier this week. My passion has for most of this part of my journey been around helping women specifically but I've actually had more people reach out to me that are male identifying and some theories are maybe they don't have a safe space to really explore that maybe they've not maybe definitely they've used different tools to mask or manage their sensitivity maybe they're like they're definitely affected by the patriarchy in different ways than women are. So I think there's a lot of different reasons that could be, but I've expanded my focus from just highly sensitive women to highly sensitives in general, knowing that if my goal is to change the perception of sensitivity and how people can support highly sensitive that is sensitive that it's both men and women that need to have the tools in understanding themselves and in understanding others. Really
1: interesting because I'm sure that it plays out differently for each gender in the workplace. And that's where for me as a human resources professional, my head automatically goes. So you mentioned that they might use different men might use different tools to mask or to handle their sensitivity. And how might that show itself in a work setting?
2: I think men obviously can drink that toxic masculinity Kool-Aid much differently and more than women can. And so they might, even highly sensitive men, but might be way more likely to shut down their intuitive sides or like really power through that. And it may show up in other ways. Um, whereas women, it might show up in more of. A burnout. We might see burnout showing up differently in women and men. and women might have much more that traditional like I'm crying, whereas men might get more physical symptoms, for example, of masking too much. I don't know if that answers your question, Kristen, but it, it definitely gets me thinking more about how it shows up
3: yeah and i'm wondering with men who are trying to mask can that show up as machoism or things that they're really trying to demonstrate i'm not sensitive i'm going to be For lack of a better word, mean or nasty, or because I oftentimes, even in my own coaching work, I'm always very curious about people and their motivations to be cruel. And we've all experienced the mean manager. What's the motivation behind that? And to me, it almost feels as though a lack of confidence, trying to hide something that's underneath or that they don't want other people to see. And because they're males, the, um, the, the, the default becomes, how do I show up more macho or more male or whatever that construct seems to be acceptable in the society. So, you know, whenever I've got a nasty guy, I'm always asking myself, what's the motivation underneath this? What's, what are they trying to keep buried that they don't want to own up? And I, one time, this was several years ago. I actually had an executive who was literally viewed as a tyrant and they sent him to me to talk to me. And I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know if I want to even talk to this guy. The, the man actually broke down in my office. It, here is somebody who is literally called a tyrant in the workplace. And he broke down in my office and it really, yeah, was amazing. It was a real breakthrough for him, which was, I was grateful for. And uh, he since has, last I heard has changed his ways, but there's something underneath.
2: Yeah. And it would be really interesting to see, does that person identify as highly sensitive? Or or if they took the assessment, would they? Or not? Maybe they were just a jerk and, and, and clearly were not managing their emotions well or self-care well. Yeah. This guy did really nuanced.
3: This guy did ultimately have an underlying health issue that he was unaware of. And my urging him to check into that is what helped him. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a lot to it. There's genetics, there's um, physiology, what could be going on with, with somebody, chemicals, all the rest of it. You never really know what's going on, but now I'm intrigued to hear about this assessment.
2: Yeah, and I, I'd be happy to share share that assessment and you can share it with your listeners. Some of the things that come up on the assessment. And I can I'll just rattle off a few. Do you tend to startle easily? Do you sometimes get overwhelmed by loud noises like fireworks? Do you get vivid dreams? Do other people's emotions affect you? So you can see that it, it runs the gamut from like the physical part, but also to the internal and the intuitive, more empath part. But not all high, highly sensitives are empaths either. So there's still a lot we're learning too.
3: Cool.
2: And I
1: think it's just interesting to hear you talk about things that many of us might be familiar with with when we think of introvert and extrovert, when we think of describing someone as an empath. And now when we talk about a highly sensitive person and realizing that all of those combinations are what really move us forward in the workplace or in our lives and with our relationships, When you're working with teams or with people or individuals, what are some of the things that you might advise them to do as they start to learn that they might be a highly sensitive person?
2: Yeah, one of the things that's most important is for highly sensitives to really start to build that self-awareness, understanding the why am I reacting this way? And I think that's true of anyone, right? Is building that self-awareness, understanding what is it that's triggering that person just said to me. But then I think one of the most important tools that I've used in my own life is building mental fitness. So really being able to harness your sage and leverage your sage wisdom and quiet those inner saboteurs that might be causing additional shame. And I can share from my own experience, most of my life, I felt like an alien, someone that just didn't fit in, someone that just, I felt deeper than others seemed to like things impacted me more than they impacted others. Um, And so I always felt really different from that. And because I grew up in a setting that wasn't embracing of that, I developed a lot of internal shame. So I think, number one step for anyone, whether you're highly sensitive or not, is building that self-awareness and then building those mental fitness muscles so that you're able to tune into that inner wisdom and that inner sage and quiet those saboteurs. Because they ran the show for about 38 out of my 39 years on (laughs) this earth. Yeah, it's
1: fascinating how those voices those stories those storylines that we have continue to show up over and over again and just being aware can potentially change the direction or the trajectory
3: you must be a practitioner of positive intelligence i heard about the sage and the judge
2: you guessed it holly are you also
3: i have been through the training as well so yes i am very tuned into that whole thing and I'm constantly telling my inner judge to take a walk.
2: (laughs) Yep. Yep. Me too. And it's a daily practice for me. And for me, I found different things work for every person, but for me, I found that program to be really life-changing and to be out of the like zillions of strategies that I've tried and I've been in therapy and all of the things I found that. Um, positive intelligence really clicked in a way that feels more sustainable for me in terms of the results that I want.
3: this is why we this is why we all have these many different ways to to deal with the inner critic that we're gifted with at birth and it's good that we try these different methodologies because you're right what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for somebody else and that's part of why we like to share these stories is because I don't want people to give up oh that didn't work I must be a failure no no That's not the way this works. You try something else until you find the secret sauce that helps sustain you as an individual, as a person. Because we're all, every
2: molecule is different than everybody else's. Absolutely. And I think for me, it was interesting when I first learned that I was highly sensitive. Like that was one of the doorways that felt like, oh, this unlocks so much so it is interesting the secret sauce I think is really important it's a combination for yeah, everybody
3: it absolutely is I, I I've i been on this particular journey now for where I really started to dig into this work was my mother was very ill and I think I it was just like a wake-up call to but you only get one shot at life. And if you're not really super happy, what are you doing to make yourself more happy? And I think that was an awakening for me to start exploring this. I've done a lot of different things and there is no silver bullet. It's It's a big old soup pot. That's all I can think of with lots of different vegetables in it. And they all play a role.
1: They all play a role.
3: So that's really awesome.
1: And I I like that soup pot analogy, but I would also say that what works at one point in your life might not work in the next phase of your life. And so Holly, your point about continuing to experiment and learn new things about yourself and increase that self-awareness gives you additional tools so that maybe when you get to a different point in your life, some of those things are um, already there for you to, to try when you find something usually might not be working.
3: hundred percent, Kristen. I couldn't agree with you more. Our circumstances change, the context of our lives change. All of those things come into play. And the more tools you can put in your toolbox. I I used to laugh at my husband and my brothers because they would always joke with each other. One with the most tools at the end of life wins. Now, of course, they're talking about real man tools right (laughs) jokingly but to me it is those of us that have the most tools have the most gain and can experience the most in a lifetime because you've got the tools that you need to shift with life's changing ebbs and flows it's it's become a funny little saying that means a lot more to me than physical craftsman tools kind of thing
2: and I think, Holly, it speaks to when you have those tools, you can create more of a quality or depth to your life that when you're not using those tools, you may not be really like aligning with your values and taking the actions that get you the life that, that you want. So I think that's a really important, important piece of advice.
3: Completely agree with you. Yeah.
1: So thinking about advice, Lynn, what would be a couple of pieces of advice that you would leave with our listeners for their journey potentially on self-discovery about either high sensitivity or any other tool or system that might help people identify for themselves how to address some of those things?
2: Yeah, I would say my number one piece of advice would be to learn ways to tune into your gut and learn ways to tap into your intuition. I think that our world does a really good job of teaching people how to override their gut all the time. And I just got done listening to <laughs> I just got done listening to half of a book uh, <laughs> called The Gift of Fear and it, it's about fear and how important it is but how we especially as women have learned to override that when it comes up for us and I had a really uh, scary moment last week I don't get fearful often. I have been known to hitchhike in the dark in random countries and like I've traveled a lot. So I've seen a lot, but I had a moment of fear last week that I'm really glad I listened to. And I think that being able to tune into your gut and your intuition and not override it is like, the number one skill that we, especially as women need to have to go through life in a way that serves us best. And I wish I had learned that much, much earlier.
3: That's such great advice. I was going to use the word sage, but I figured since we use that in the context of positive intelligence, it's good advice. And you bring up an interesting point that we've talked about before on this podcast and in other forums, Kristen and I, for sure, we are complete beings that possess an entire body that has intelligence throughout the entire thing. But society places such a value on what's going on in our head that I think that's what causes us to second guess that intelligence that comes from a place that's not in our brain, right? And it's so important for people to pay attention to that. Because I, in some instances, I think it's much smarter than my brain is.
2: (laughs) We exist below the neck, folks. (laughs) And you have a smart brain, Holly. I can, I know that already. So to say that I think is huge, but I, I agree. And I think the other, we pay so much attention to our heads but we also pay so much attention to what everybody else around us needs. oh yeah. And that is not why we're here. Yes. Let's be loving and kind and caring and take care of others. And I think when we continually put others ahead of ourselves, that's when we get further and further away from who we are supposed to be.
3: Absolutely. Because the bucket is not full. It the old adage put your own mask on before assisting others you can't be your best self if you don't to be able to take care of others if you don't take care of yourself first and i can never emphasize that enough with people and i work on that every day and i am far from perfect believe me but you've got to understand when you need the oxygen
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. Lynn, where can our listeners find you
2: and maybe follow you? Yeah, I hang out most on LinkedIn, but they can also find me at com. Very basic website, but yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm always open to setting up calls with people who want to talk more. If there are ways that I can support them in their journey, I'm here to help. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for being here
1: today. This was very enlightening. And I think you're going to get a lot of people who are interested in learning a little bit more about our conversation here today. Thank you so much. It was my
2: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.